This is the Sunday that we celebrate the last Sunday of the church year. And it's some of the weirdest readings, I thought. It's like, wow, we, we should be celebrating Jesus is coming back. Get yourselves ready. Instead, he's up on the cross. But if you have a discernment of the Old Testament Malachi and the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that there was a very clear theme about the end, and that is the fear of God. The fear of the Lord. In Malachi, there were those, there were two groups of people, and the first group were raising a fist to God. They were angry. They were accusing him of many things. And God's like, whoa. But there was another group of people, and God said to them, I have a book of remembrance. I'm going to write your name in that book. And when I come and I gather up my treasured possession, I will remember you. And then that echoes then into the Luke passage. As the two thieves on the cross, one is railing against Jesus and the other rebuking him. Do you not fear God, he asked. And Jesus, I will remember you. This fear of the Lord, it's kind of a hard phrase really to understand. And, but we do see the pattern here in these readings from Malachi and Luke. We see that those who have no fear of God have no fear whatsoever of telling him what they think of venting their spleen, of just, you know, telling them off and then being done with God. And the other would never think of such a thing. There is a reverence. There, there is a deference to. He is the Son, and we revolve around Him. Everything revolves around Him. For to have the fear of the Lord is to have the Lord as your everything, your physical security and safety, your, your spiritual uh, rock, your, your mental well-being. He's everything. That one relationship that you can, you cannot, and you will not ever be without. But if we're going to understand the fear of the Lord, you have to realize that you're not being commanded to create this kind of reverence within yourself. In fact, you cannot have a fear, a true fear of God on your own. <laughs> the best we can do is, like when you're driving down the highway and you're going 70 and a 60 and you see the red lights. It's like, oh! The best we can do is a fear that is a tremble of getting caught. But that is only the first and most shallowest part of the fear of the Lord when it comes to this. This, this great deference, this, this fear can only be born as a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. And it's not out of fear of getting caught, but having been caught and then being held close to the heart of God and hearing Him speak to you, your sins are forgiven. It was Olivia today at her baptism, right? Being held by her daddy, but hearing from her father. This one's mine. There's a distinction in the world. 
But you have to grow up, right? You, you, have to, you have to have those words really sink into your heart. It's all true, but until it's, it's an emotional, until it's, it's a visceral, until it's, it's, it's your all in all, the fear of the Lord isn't truly born out in you. You know, and we really, we see this in the Malachi text. A people who, who once feared God, a people who once loved him, but now no more. A people who now accuse him of many things. And, and the very thing they accuse him of is that there is no distinction between us and those who do not follow you. It doesn't pay anymore. There's no profit in it. Why should we go around mourning over our sins when the evildoers just get away with everything? They even mock you. They put you to the test, and it seems to me that they get away with it. But this other group of people, they were very different. And so you have to wonder, well, what happened? You know, how do you get to that point where you're just so critical, so bitter? And before we look down on this group of people, you have to also realize that this group, Critical bitterness is in each of us. Whereas the fear of the Lord is not naturally part of us, this is. And it can lay dormant for years. You can be a happy member of a congregation for decades. You come to church every week, you raise your kids, you do all the ministries, but then something happens. And something happens where something's taken away from you. Something doesn't go the way you want. Maybe it's in your personal life and there's, there's been an illness, there's been a, a death, maybe a, a change in jobs where now you're just not quite the same. Maybe it's in the church itself. And once we've lost something, there is grief. There's no way around grief. And it's, it just doesn't go away. It sticks to us like a putty, and, we're, and we really don't like it at all, and so we get angry, and we look to people to blame. We, we look at the people closest to us, and they get vented on. And if it's happening in the church, we vent on them. If it's the pastors or the leaders or just the church itself. But it's all a stand-in for, for God himself. You know, there's a really dramatic example of this on the cross. And, and there on the cross, we see the most extreme example of the, the bitterness. One thief, and he's, he's accusing Jesus of incompetence. If you're the Christ, right? I mean, that's, that's quite an accusation. And then telling him what to do. If you're the Christ, then, then save us. Imagine his frustration. You know, you've been, you've been hearing about this Christ. You've been hearing all the great things that he's done, and now you're right next to him, and you really need him to do something for you. And he's not. The emotional response, the bitterness, the, the criticism, the, the hate that this man feels toward God and his representative, Jesus, is normal. We're all there. Nobody gets away from it. But there was another guy. And he was anything but normal. Right? This other thief, 
And so the criminal, and his response was to rebuke the first. And did you, how does he experience the pain of death, the torture of the cross, the emotional, everything is over, death is looming, and yet he has a very abnormal response. And he says to the one thief, we're getting what we deserve. To understand the fear of the Lord, to understand how the critique and the hatred and the bitterness that's inside of us for the things that we've lost in this world, it begins with what the thief said. We're getting what we deserve. And ooh, that is a bitter pill. Nobody wants to think that is true. I'm getting what I deserve. No, I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve help. I deserve your love. I deserve not to experience what everyone else in the world experiences, God. There should be a distinction between your faves and your not faves, right? Okay, so why am I not getting it? Unless your heart has been brought to the realization of the truth, that no matter what we face in this life, we're getting what we deserve. That's a hard one because of our sins. It's, it's not a one-to-one ratio. Like, I did something bad, now something bad's happening to me. But it's whatever happens in life happens because of our, our sin. The thief on the cross doesn't stop there. If he stopped there, there would only be despair. It's like, yep, we're getting what we deserve, now we're going to die, and that's it. The thief on the cross, he acknowledges, he confesses sin, and then he waits on Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did he ask? Did he he ask for miraculous deliverance from the cross? Nope. Did he ask for relief of pain and suffering? No. What did he ask for? You have to see this to have the fear of God born in your hearts. I just want to be with you, Jesus. Of all the things that I need, that's the one thing that I cannot be without. It's you. The fear of the Lord born in you by the Holy Spirit as a gift gives you the recognition that I'm a sinful human being, but I have a Savior, and I I have to be with Him. And then He just waited for the answer. It may be yes, it may be no, it may be nothing at all, but He waits. And then you know what Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He will be remembered. Notice how that ties back in with Malachi. There's a book of remembrance. Those who fear the Lord. There is a distinction made on that day. And on this day with the two thieves, there's a distinction. And the distinction that Jesus makes in his body is that he chose not to save himself, but he chose to save Sinners who get what they deserve so that they might receive mercy that will not end. That whatever is lost in this world, whatever we've gotten, 
would be replaced a hundred times beyond even what we can imagine. It is this Jesus who holds us close in the very darkest times of our life when we are bitter, when we are angry even at God, and he speaks gently to our hearts. Did you notice that Jesus died for both thieves, both criminals? That, that he died for all the Romans that nailed him to the cross. He died for all of the Jewish leaders that mocked him and railed against him and, and put him there. He, he died for you and for me. And now the Spirit comes to take these words to work in you the fear of the Lord. And it's such an overwhelming grace that we just want to be with Jesus. It's such an overwhelming grace that we have some grace to share with other people whom we're really mad at, maybe justified in our anger. And yet, like God, we can offer grace in holding them close to our hearts. Is that not the reason for creation? Is that not what Jesus is the head of all the church, to be loved and to love one another? That's what he's the head of. That's what he's come to give us. That's what he's come to lead us in. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end. The end is love. You receive it this day to give to one another. Amen.